Kevin Bowen here. Don't forget to listen to The Fan now on 93.5 or 107.5 FM. And check out our latest coverage online at 1075thefan.com. Welcome back. It is time for a Pacers podcast here on Kevin's Corner. I'm Kevin Bowen, Chris Presley back in studio as we overlook a beautiful monument circle on this Friday morning here at MS Communications. It's time, Chris. Uh, we've had, I don't know, a handful of diehards that have been asking for it for quite a while. Yep. and. We needed to wait until the news broke, and it broke on, what was that, Wednesday? Officially, mm-hmm. Nate Bjorkren fired as head coach the first time in the <clears throat> four-decade tenure of the Simon family that a head coach has been fired uh, after year one. So certainly a little bit unheard of, definitely unheard of for the Pacers. We'll get into all that today. Uh, thoughts on the team in general. Uh, Kevin Pritchard, some coaching candidates. we got a lot of Twitter questions as well that uh, we should definitely hit on. So apologies that we haven't gotten to one, but you know, you kind of knew this news was inevitable, so we didn't want to uh, have a podcast and then all of a sudden it not be as time sensitive. So considering a coaching search, I assume will last a little bit of time. Hopefully uh, you guys will enjoy this. Yeah. And Kevin, uh, most of the fans listen to both the Colts and the Pacers podcast, but yeah. if you are a diehard Pacer fan, going to let you in on a little bit of a secret with the Kevin's Corner podcast when it comes to Colts, normally we do a podcast just before major news breaks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if you are a Pacer fan, yeah. even hiring though, by sunset. Though. Yeah, even though the even though the coaching search is probably going to go on a little bit longer, um, it would not shock me if by eleven oh five this morning there's a coach hired. <laughs> you know, after I, the only counter to that will be this, Chris Presley. After the mistake you made in Nate Bjorkren and not vetting him well enough. I, I think just from a right. time standpoint, you need to make it seem like you are taking forever to vet uh, multiple candidates and whoever that final candidate is. So a lot to get to, and let's let's jump into it, man. Yeah, so quick overview of the last season, Kevin. I mean, we had one preseason after Nate was hired, um, new Nate, as we called him at, right. that, at that point, because people didn't know how to say Bjorkren, but we learned him over the season. A lot of injuries, but I'll, I'll throw it over to you to give more of an analysis of, of what you thought about how the Pacers played in the last year. You know, I think you honestly have to start with what you just said, and it's not an excuse. It's a fact. This team was incredibly beat up this past season, uh, more beat up than really any Pacers team I can remember in quite some time. Um, having said that, if healthy, I felt like the ceiling for this team was kind of about a six seed. And I, I know the Eastern Conference played out differently. Like, no one expected the Knicks and the Hawks yeah. to be sitting in that 4-5 matchup. We expected Miami and Boston to be there. But when I looked at what happened last year in the Eastern Conference, and there was kind of a cutoff, it felt like, after Philly at six last year when we're talking bubble. You know, Miami, Indiana, mm-hmm. that 4-5. With what Brooklyn did, you knew they were going to jump, and clearly they have jumped. But I just felt like even if this team was fully healthy – I couldn't sit here and say anything higher than about a 6-seed. Now, granted, I didn't expect 10-seed, or I I guess they were playing for the play-in, so I guess 9 was the final. And then um, when you factor in all the injuries, I'm not totally stunned 
that they missed the playoffs just because you're going from six to nine, and that's not earth-shattering to me when you factor in all the missed games that they had. Um, the defensive struggles was, oh my gosh, I mean, it was egregious to watch. And listening to Kevin Pritchard earlier in the week, there was a lot of regret in his voice about Dan Burke. It seemed like if you talk to some people, that was a Kevin Pritchard decision to let Dan Burke go. And I don't know how much of that was a Bjorkren saying, this is my defense, this is what I want to do. So who knows on that aspect of it. But I thought that New Nate battled this the entire year, Chris. Mm-hmm. He battled wanting to install his system and not having the personnel to play that system. I think that's difficult for a coach to balance, especially a first-year coach when the personnel is brought back virtually entirely intact, which it was for him. It's difficult because you do want to install a culture and a system and things like that. But at some point, this is the hand that you're dealt. you got to make do with it. Like You've got to try and get the best out of it that you can. And I felt like his stubbornness, which is weird to say for a first-year head coach, I thought his stubbornness in the end uh, cost his team on the defensive end of the floor and cost him his job. Having said that, I don't think the personnel is great on the defensive side of the floor. Uh, minus Miles Turner, we'll get into that a little bit more. I thought offensively, there are a lot of things that I liked. Um, you know, you talk about individual seasons, Chris. I don't want to overlook the year that DeMontis Sabonis had. Uh, mm-hmm. Both the free agents, TJ McConnell, Doug McDermott. Obviously, O'Shea Brissett in that final month plus of the year. I mean, that was just yeah. fun to watch. A guy that, you know, this is not a 10-day, a two-weeker. I look at him now, and I'm like, wow, that's that's a rotational player. Uh, maybe a starter, but I, I don't know if I want to go there. But certainly a rotational player on a playoff team. And I thought Edmund Sumner uh, gave you some moments as well. Um, so unfortunate with how the season ended for Karis LeVert. Uh, but I thought he, um, you know, coming back from just a wild you know, injury situation, you know, the cancer, cancerous tumor, luckily not being that, all of that, just to, yeah. Yep. the fact that he was on the court was pretty incredible, but then to play at that level as well. So there are some pieces I think that you certainly like, obviously individually, I don't know what the hell the Aaron holiday tenure is not going in the direction no. that you want it to be going. But I do want to acknowledge before we get into Bjorker and Pritchard, other stuff, Chris, just a little bit of overview of last season and that, you know, when you're down T.J. Warren for 95% of the season, you don't have a starting two guard for, what was it, two months really mm-hmm. with the Oladipo-Levert trade. Yeah, missing the playoffs doesn't shock me. Now, in the magnitude that you lost it and that pisses you off and it should – I don't think you beat more than two or three legit playoff teams in the final like three months of the year, four mm-hmm. months of the year. That's disappointing for sure. Um, but that's where I was always kind of torn on the unquestionably firing Bjorkren. The personality stuff, you got to let him go. But if you were just looking at him from a X and O standpoint and the season he was dealt, I don't think it was a fireable season per se for a first time head coach you gotta have some patience but when you factor in the personality you're pushed in a corner that uh that you have to make that move and just quickly before we jump into Bjorkern again I know a lot of Pacer fans at least I think TJ McConnell oh yeah Yeah. there's just some guys and I know it's cliche and it it might not get you to play off basketball but Indiana basketball, the way basketball is supposed to be played, the guy gets a steal on an inbound every every single game, mm-hmm. 
and yeah. just and just facilitates the floor perfectly. I I um, if Rosie Bow choose to play sports in her life, I hope she plays sports like T.J. McConnell plays sports. I mean, it's it's awesome <laughs> watching her play the game of basketball. And obviously the son of a coach, so you know that's not a cliche. That's a fact. Right. Like, you you see that. Like, how do teams not scout this? How do teams not be like he's in the game? Take a half second to inbound the basketball. Know where he is before you throw the ball mm-hmm. inbounds. Uh, knows his game so well. Uh, you know him and Doug McDermott, both of them hitting free agency. I'll be interested to see how those things play out. But I've said it before, Chris. I'll say it again. There should be a statue of T.J. McConnell in about <laughs> section two fifteen. Yep. Uh, I don't know. Put cotton candy in his hand. Put a light domestic beer in his hand. Um, you know, have Boomer come visit him w- once a game in the upper deck. I don't know, but that needs to happen. Like he is blue collar. He deserves to be have a statue inside a banker's life, uh, even if he uh, decides to play elsewhere. So, yeah, uh, it was a joy to watch T.J. McConnell. And honestly, I think I wish a lot of that locker room carried themselves more yeah. like T.J. McConnell. And less like some other people in there. So a transition from TJ to the head coach. TJ really spoke highly of Bjorkren when a lot of people were kind of down on him. What are your thoughts on Nate this season? And especially when you when you factor in, especially going back to uh, Brissett coming in, and Brissett played very well, is, yeah. is Nate more of a kind of scout and assistant coach than a head coach? Yeah, I think the chair was too big for him. And what worries me, Chris, is this. You never faced adversity on a grand scale. And by that, I mean you didn't make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Like, look at the adversity that the Bucks are facing, you know, down 2-0. And obviously, as we record this, they came back and won game three, but they're, like, just waiting to fire Boonholzer, it seems yep. like. Uh, obviously, the adversity that a Lakers team faced – early on like there was not real shit for Nate Bjorkeren in the sense of we're down 2-1 2-0 3-1 whatever in a playoff series what adjustments are you going to make are you going to all of a sudden shorten a rotation you've used all year long are you going to say hey you know Karis LeVert you're going from 42 or whatever 38 minutes to 26 you know like tough tough decisions coaches make in the playoffs when you're scouted like none other so when I factored that in and I thought about personality issues. He had to go. This dude was pitched to us like he was Tony Dungy. And he acted like he was Bob Knight. And I know in the state of Indiana, Chris, people might be like, oh, that's great. You know, Robert Montgomery, blah, blah, blah. I'll never forget Anthony Costanzo saying this after some season, describing Frank Reich and what makes Frank Reich a great coach. And he said just how day in, day out, big loss, big win, Frank Reich is Frank Reich. And sure, are there times you need to light up a player, light up a coach, light up a team? Yeah. But for the most part, players want you to be consistent. Mm-hmm. They're going to be a little bit more volatile. Like, the, this is their life. I mean, they are 25 years old and with all this money – and reading social media and all this, you've got to be, you know, for lack of a better term, the father figure or the CEO that can stay consistent. Which is kind of funny considering Frank Reich, when you asked him last week or earlier this week on the podcast, yeah, he felt like that was one of the things, if he could go back, he would still 
try and keep in perspective yeah. and harp on that even more. And, yeah. and and he's already he's already that great, and he still wants to be better at it. And I think it's the ex-player in Frank Reich that comes out on that. What did he want out of a head coach? What made the Bills locker room so – what did Marv Levy do yeah. that was so successful for that franchise? I don't think Nate Bjorken has that at this level. I mean, it's the, it's the bleeping NBA, folks. Coaching today's athlete is a different animal. Mm-hmm. And some of the stories, Chris, it's just like, wait, dude, you can't act like that. Like, you can't just be – cussing random people out for no reason and you know getting in the face for players for you know very minimal stuff and then you get to a post-game press conference and i've said this before on the radio you sound like colleen bowen describing a round of golf where kevin shot you know 44 in nine holes mom i sucked i didn't play well like it's okay to say that these are professional athletes accountability in a public light can sometimes light a fire. Mm-hmm. And his lack of consistency, um, I think, really, really rubbed people the wrong way. And and how do you correct that when I go back to what I said earlier? You haven't really gotten into the fire. Yeah, you've been close to it. He was dealt an awful hand injury-wise, all of that. So I think you really have to divide Nate Bjorker and Chris into that personality stuff. And then X and O's, and I know I, I'm in the minority with a lot of these people, I like his approach defensively. I like the idea of attacking on the perimeter, being able to switch within games. That, to me, is a good philosophy. Yeah. It was not executed well with this personnel. The Pacers lacked defensive personnel on the wings, for sure. And then I thought, offensively, this team actually played pretty well. So, the hiring of the X and O's, the creativity... Uh, wanting to shoot more threes. The Pacers played a lot more pace this year. I don't think their personnel is a bunch of fast, open-court guys, but they played with more pace, and it worked out. So those things I like. So I guess when I think about the next head coach, the open-minded, modern approach that Nate Bjorkren wanted to bring here, I agree with. It's him acting like, at times, a jackass that has to to change. Um, So I think that's where you're looking at this next head coach. You talk about stoking the fire, and obviously we talked we talked about T.J. McConnell, and clearly T.J. was a guy who Nate understood and got to, and T.J. always backed him up. Who would have been a guy in the starting lineup, or who would have been a person that's would have been better for Nate to get to other than T.J.? Yeah, I mean that, that it's a good question. Um, you know, I I've heard that him and Sabonis didn't see eye to eye, which is interesting to me a bit. Uh, obviously, I think Malcolm Brogdon, we'll get into this a little bit more in Twitter questions, I think he needs to act uh, like an NBA leader mm-hmm. a little bit more inside that locker room. And Bjorkren and Brogdon, I think, had a pretty good relationship at times, for sure. Um, it, it, it's it's a tough question to answer, Chris, without totally being in right, there. Right. And knowing that, um, you know, Bjorkren, I think, handled himself poorly within the organization. But I think there's an onus on that locker, and we'll get into this a little bit more later, that those guys, whether it's banding together or growing up or just acting like professionals, that needs to happen Mm -hmm. a little bit more, which is weird to say about a Pacers team. I I don't often say that about a Pacers team. Yeah, right. And I think that's that's frustrating, and it's frustrating this market because we're not used to that either. Um 
the last thing that I will say on Bjorkren before we move on, Chris, is just, and I guess this is a little bit of Kevin Pritchard, but when you fire Nate McMillan last year and you felt like he wasn't catering enough to the locker room and you laid out the communication and the unifier that had to be there in the next coaching hire, that to me is what is particularly frustrating about this failing of a hire is Kevin Pritchard was foaming at the mouth watching Nate Bjorkren from an X's and O's standpoint. That's great. That's part of being an NBA head coach. Mm-hmm. But when you set out your prerequisites and the communication aspect is so high and that guy fails in that area, you have failed right. in that area with that hire. Um, and I think that is what's particularly damning about this. This was not something to where you know, whatever, final two minutes of a game, you're out of timeouts, were particularly bad, you know, this and that. Like, I don't think Nate Bjorkman got fired for those reasons. Uh, it was the human management, to steal a phrase from, from Kevin Pritchard, of why he got fired. And that's an issue from the team president in, in, in making that hire. So we'll see. As, as we record this, Chris, right now, you know, four openings in the NBA – I would view Boston and Portland as clearly better than Indiana's opening. Mm-hmm. You would think the Pacers would be better than Orlando. I don't know. I guess if you want a bunch of young big guys, you'd go to Orlando. <laughs> but that, to me, doesn't seem like a super attractive opening. And I'll be curious to see what the list looks like, things like that. So Nate Lest here one year. One of the better years in the first years is Rosie Bell. Oh, Congratulations hey, to her on Thank turning you. one year old. Yeah, she yeah she's uh, got her first birthday tomorrow as we record this, so uh, going to be hotter than hell. Which I guess <laughs> we should probably get used to that for Rosie Bell birthdays. Not like that's going to change too much. But, right. Um, I can't wait, man. Yeah, we're gonna have some family over tomorrow and celebrate. And I know it sounds super cliche, but it is wild that she's one. And gonna smash the cake. And yeah, we're gonna yeah we're gonna we're gonna try and smash the cake. I have a feeling her nieces or her, her niece and nephews <laughs> might might be a little bit more into the smashing aspect of it. Uh, but yeah, you know, maybe go down the slide. Dad might go down head first. You okay, know? all right. See, uh, Rosie Bow goes down head first. She's she's fearless. <laughs> uh, we got basketball goal. We might get a little free throw challenge in the back for the adults. Okay, there and um, yeah, some burgers, some dogs on the grill, Doritos. I love Doritos. Got to throw those in a bowl for sure. But yeah, it's uh, dude, I can't believe she's a year old. That's a great and, and summer she, birthday. And she's got a great left hand, which, uh, you know, I feel like that could be good. You think Again, that's the dominant one? T.J. McConnell vision. I, I don't know if it's dominant, but uh, you get a little ambidextrous, you know. Yeah, you can do sports, whatever. You can be, right? you, you can be big with that. So, happy birthday, Rosie Bow. We love you, Maddie and I. Absolutely. absolutely love you, and uh, I appreciate that shout-out, Chris. Yeah. All right, well, you, you touched on Kevin Pritchard. He had a press conference, was it yesterday? Uh, what's today? Friday? Wednesday? Yeah, Wednesday. Wednesday at 3. So, Mm -hmm. touch on what he talked about in regards to what he sees the Pacers going through future-wise and and just pick up on some of that stuff. You know, one thing I I liked about what Kevin said the other day was when you make this hire, and again, this is a failing of of the hiring of Bjorkren. Yes, he is the head coach, Chris, but, like, you're hiring a coaching staff. Mm -hmm. And this is something we've talked about on Colts podcast. One thing that I don't think it is a shock of why Bill Belichick and Mike Tomlin are probably the two best coaches the NFL has seen over the last two decades is because they manage and they delegate 
and they don't call plays, and they sit there on the sidelines and let their offense coordinator and defense coordinator do their things, and then they know time management is so important, they know game flow is so important, Mm -hmm. that they concentrate on that. And in the NBA, you know, you don't – Nate, we don't need you whipping out the iPad every time out and you having to control the huddle for two minutes. You've got assistance. When Larry Bird was hired, I mean, he hired no coordinator and a D coordinator. And those worked out really well. So I, I think when you are a coach, especially in the NBA, today's NBA, your relatability, your connection with players is massive. That's part of it. Your offense is part of it. Your defense is part of it. Player development is part of that. That's a whole lot to throw on one person's plate. A whole lot. So what Kevin was getting at is basically the head coach will have strengths. Does the staff around him make up for the weaknesses that you might have in that person? That is vital, vital. I was shocked when that when that when they started announcing some of those hires last year for Bjorkren. I'm like, these are the resumes. Mm-hmm. Like what? I mean, if you look on NBA staffs, there's some impressive people sitting on an NBA bench. Oh yeah. That like I feel like when the camera pans to them during the game, you're like, oh wow, that person is an NBA assistant coach. I mean, our coach gets. <laughs> Our coach gets mis uh, misconceived as the assistant coach. Yeah, like sure. yeah, 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 like yeah. Foster and Bjorkren. Like right, yeah, that's not. Yeah, I was gonna say Greg Foster or Jeff Foster. I was I was confused when when, when that hire was made, but I just didn't feel like there was enough support around him, and that's vital. So that's something that I thought Kevin hit on. He was probably he still is harping on the defense. He probably talked a little bit more about the offense than he did back a couple weeks ago when he you know, had a season-ending presser and whatnot. Um, you know, one thing that I do want to hit on here, Chris, is I think Kevin Pritchard's feet should be held to the fire big time. Uh, if I were the Simons, I probably would have fired him, to be honest. I would have started over. Has Kevin Pritchard executed some tremendous, and that's probably not even the right word, whatever, a step above that is, mm-hmm. some unbelievable trades for this franchise? when they were at a crossroads, without a doubt. Yeah. But I've said this, and I'll repeat it here for our listeners of the pod. When you take on the team president role in a market like this, the two most important aspects to your job are drafting and hiring the right coach. Mm-hmm. You accept this job knowing full well that free agents are not wanting a tour of Georgia Street or Mass Ave. Right. We love those areas, but they just, you know, yeah. they aren't. So uh, you're also accepting this job knowing that the luxury tax is probably not something you're going to be tapping into. So with that, you've got to draft, and you've got to hire the right coach. If you look at Kevin Pritchard's drafting resume in Indiana, I call it awful. Some people will push back on that. Look at the top seven or eight players in this roster right now. Are any of them draft picks? Yeah, no. I would agree with you. It's awful. You look at his Portland tenure, and you want to see bad drafts with good draft picks, go look at that. I mean, it, it's, it'll make your, like, Tyrus Thomas. I mean, <laughs> it, it will make you want to bleed. Your right. eyes bleed. I mean, it is absolutely awful how he is drafted. And, again, when you are in markets like Portland, uh, who's Portland's best player right now? Damian Lillard. Dra- again, right. Draft, and obviously after Pritchard. But, like, if you're going to be good – in these markets, look at Utah and what Donovan Mitchell is doing for them. You look at Phoenix and what Devin Booker is doing for them. You have got to hit 
on draft picks. Yeah, and luckily for those those teams, especially Portland, Damian wants to stay there. Right. Like that is not an like if he wants to leave, he could he could be like any other player and just sure. walk out. And again, that that is down the road. That's like you got to hit on the draft pick, and then you've got to convince said player right. to stay. And Utah, you know, seems like he's been able to do that. Portland has. We'll see what happens with Lillard now. But um, you have to create an advantage in this market, which is again tough to do. You can create it in two ways: drafting well mm-hmm. and having an advantage on the sidelines. Right. And the Bjorkren hire clearly was a massive fail in that area. So when you're evaluating a person in that position, to me, and again, this is really all me talking, um, to me, I'm grading you tougher on the draft and hiring of head coaches. Player acquisition via trades, knocking out of the ballpark. But we're sitting here and it's got you three straight years without a playoff win. Mm-hmm. And you're now seven straight years without a playoff series win. Like, those are just the facts of where you are right now. So, as much as a TJ Warren, as much as a Domas and Victor at the time have worked out, you've got nothing to show for it. And that's where I think there needs to be more accountability in his area. And, again, I know he's got the Simons wrapped around his finger. And if I was a team president, <laughs> I would want to have ownership oh, wrapped yeah. around oh, my, yeah. my finger. But it, it's um, it's an issue for me right now and the lack of I think account yeah I feel like I don't know maybe some of my colleagues I thought um, I thought Kravitz um, was pretty aggressive and kind of going after Kevin in a piece a little bit ago um, but I, I don't think there's been enough of that and I fully acknowledge Chris drafting is difficult in the NBA very tough but I'm not saying that your draft pick needs to be the best player on your roster mm-hmm. or the second best player on your roster but it needs to be a starter. It needs to be a, at least a second contract player. Right, and right now, exactly. T.J. Leaf, I had a better chance of getting a second contract with the Pacers <laughs> than T.J. Leaf. And Aaron Holiday doesn't look like he will be uh, getting that or should. And it's up in the air on Goga as well. So um, that's where I'm trying to think what else. Was, I, was the other first rounder maybe the Thad Young trade? I don't, I don't, I don't know uh, off the top of my head. But um, it's just uh, – I think there needs to be a little bit more in that realm. But clearly, he's going to be back, and he's going to hire another head coach, and he's going to sit here, and the 13th overall pick has got to be hit, or else you know, there won't be a very long tenure after that. So I did want to talk a little bit about Kevin Pritchard as well. Um, you know, anytime he started a season-ending presser with praising the local media for like 30 seconds or a minute, I'm like, oh, boy. Anytime you start off praising yep. the local media, you know you haven't done a good job. Mm-hmm. I'm like, where, where, where is this going? Like, the local media hopped on Zoom and did Zoom interviews in, in boxers for half the year. Right. They're okay. Like, we don't need to be, you know, yes, was it a little bit difficult? Sure. But let's not act like we're, you know, working in 95-degree heat outside every day. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, I don't have a great grasp on running it back in his eyes or not. You know, he, I, he's kind of said both things and um, – you know, Kevin's extremely candid with the media. I've got no issue with that. This is not some, like, gripe by him with the media. I just think there needs to be some accountability there. Yeah. So feet are to the fire for KP. I think they should be, but I don't think they are. It's something else I, I need to mention. Like, I, I don't think – I think the Simons think he's done a fine job. And, and some would counter to my argument and say, this is what the Simons want. Like, they don't, they don't want anything crazy drastic, crazy risk-taking – 
Um, like that's how they've approached ownership. And you are shaking your head right now, and, and I think a lot of the fan base probably agrees with you. You, you. You're thinking that you should be more aggressive or you should have higher aspirations. Yeah, I mean, I, I understand it's an asset for you, but, hey, malls are, malls are failing. Yeah. yeah. Why don't we work on our basketball team? Yeah. Um, but it doesn't matter when you when you have that much money. People, they just don't care. Yeah, it, it's it, it it's interesting. Um, you know, we'll see what hi, what happens when Stephen Simon eventually takes over as well, and how things transpire there. That's that's probably for a different podcast and all that. But, um, you know, as someone that's, uh, I just feel like, and you're seeing it right now, Chris. I mean, you got eight teams left, and I mean, you look at. Milwaukee, mm-hmm. you look at certainly Denver, certainly Utah, certainly Phoenix. I mean, these are not major, major markets by right. any means. Yep. But there is a pathway, and the Pacers have found it. I mean, the Pacers have they've been a game away from the NBA Finals yeah. several times in the last couple decades. Obviously, they got to an NBA Finals now, I guess, over two decades ago. Uh, there is a path. It's a difficult path. It, it, it's tough to get there, but... I would like to see some steps taken to try and get back on that path. Absolutely. No, great thoughts. Um, off-season decisions, what are we thinking about in terms of roster turnover? I know yeah. Nate's out. Right. Um, this is like non-coaching division, I guess, is yes. w- where we'll go here. I know we got a lot of Twitter questions I want to get to as well, Chris, but let me start here. Um, when I hear run it back, I, I want to do the little uh, Jim Carrey uh, fingers in his ears, <laughs> little, ah, like, you know, I want to do like uh, Rosie Bow when she's just screaming for a bottle or screaming for a passy. Like, I want to be that loud. Um, is it difficult to evaluate this team considering the injuries? Without a doubt. I mean, like, it's, it's tough. I, I don't want to ignore the injuries. But when I hear run it back, you are also saying, we'll be healthy. Mm hmm. Look up T.J. Warren and how many games he's missed in his NBA career. Look up Malcolm Brogdon, how many games he's missed in his NBA career. Hell, in his college career, there was an issue out of out of Virginia for him. Uh, injuries are part of why Phoenix probably thought T.J. Warren was a little bit more expendable. And sure, there are other reasons. There's a reason why Milwaukee said, and this didn't work out, but they thought, no, we believe in Eric Bledsoe to stay healthy more than Malcolm Brogdon. Now it's turned into Drew Holiday, obviously. But... Um, it's just no guarantee you're going to be healthy. If you are healthy, Brooklyn, Milwaukee, Philly, you know that. I mean that that's just that that's a different animal, right? Um, and I just think it's more of an if to me with the health. So I'm a fan of trading two bigs or trading one of the bigs. We'll get into that in Twitter questions. And I could be talked into moving Malcolm Brogdon off the ball. Um. So when I look at it, I think new point guard with pace. I think a four-man that prides himself rebounding interchangeable on the defensive end can hit an open three. That's kind of where I'm at right now with the personnel. I think there are some good pieces on this roster. And, and you heard this, Chris, when I was filling in a little bit. Yeah, I was never team tank. I, I called it dive. You know, I feel like tank okay. is too, yeah. too, uh, too aggressive and I guess a little bit of, you know, a PR – uh, aspect to it, we'll call it dive. Sounds sounds better. <laughs> sounds when you you yeah. know send the mass email out to the season ticket holders. We're not tanking. We're diving. <laughs> there are pieces like this is not a total blow up at all no. in my eyes. Now some would say you have to totally blow it up for a, you know get the major draft pick, get the Jalen Suggs, whatever. Okay, that's fine. 
the Pacers aren't going to do that. So let's let's acknowledge that. And I don't think they necessarily need to. Now, that means you're going to have to hit on the pick in the late lottery, certainly. But I think there are some pieces here to work with. And obviously, contractually, you don't have a lot of flexibility right now. I mean, it's a debate if you can bring back both McConnell and McDermott. Those are two bench guys. And I think that's a question you have to ask yourself. Do you let both walk and potentially try to acquire a starter? Do you bring back McConnell for more leadership? Your backup point guard is who the hell knows? Mm -hmm. Or do you look at McDermott and say, that's the shooter, and he flourished under Bjorkren. Have you now found some sets and some stuff of, oh, yeah, that dude was a top 10 scorer ever in college basketball. Like, he can do more than just shoot open threes. Right. Or is it two guys near the age of 30, and they're going to cash in, and you don't blame them if they do? Like, those are – I think it's fascinating debates with McConnell and McDermott, and it's not a great free agency class either this year. So I'm curious that. But when I look at changes personnel, I'm trading one of the bigs. I would like to explore a new point guard. And the four position, I could be talking to T.J. Warren playing the four, but is there somebody out there that is Aaron Gordon-like? Athletic, can switch, can rebound, and hit an open three. Uh, my aspirations are not – I know you're not getting Kevin Durant, but those are kind of the qualities that I'm, that I'm looking for. With the way people play nowadays, making super teams, are the Pacers always going to be that minor league system for a super team? In terms of you get a guy, turns into a great player, and then decides, you know what, I'm going to walk because I want to go to one of these super teams. Yeah, it's a great question, Chris, um, and it's certainly the question in today's NBA. Um, part of me says yes, but part of me says no. Part of me says they're – we'll see what happens, you know, with these teams right now. But, like, Giannis, Jokic, Donovan Mitchell, Devin Booker, and I know this is very, like, present time we're talking about, but – they appear to be guys that will stay with their current teams or have signed big contracts with their current teams. Now, have any of those teams been to an NBA Finals off the top of my head? I don't think so, unless I'm no. totally missing somebody. Uh, obviously, the Bucks were extremely I close mean, a few years ago. The Jazz years and years and years ago. Yeah, but, but not with this current right. current makeup. Uh, and who knows? In two weeks, maybe the Jazz will be there. Or maybe Phoenix will be there. But, like, just because that answer is potentially no – doesn't mean you don't try because who knows how a 21 year old that you draft turns into a 26 year old that's facing this huge decision have you created a culture have you created an environment that makes them want to stay in indiana right for some wild reason does their family enjoy being in in indiana like donovan mitchell is a louisville kid that was primarily a baseball player yep growing up like he's not in the aau Culture. He wasn't even the best player on Louisville's team, hell, when he was coming out. like, And that's why I love the Goga pick, honestly, at the time, because I thought, is that Giannis? And I know that might sound absurd to people, but that is, the I think, the infatuation with drafting the international player because they don't grow up in the, I'm friends with Jason Tatum, Jalen right. Brown. You know, I know right. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown were both drafted, but like they haven't grown up playing with these other guys on Team USA's and things like that. So... Like, you're going to a new area, and that's going to be home. Yeah, yeah, like exactly. Like, that's my new home. I mean, that's home base. I know Jokic was a second-rounder. I'm pretty sure he was. Yep. Uh, and Giannis was, like, mid-teens. But those are some of the questions that you have. 
Um, I mean, sure, in an ideal world, you, you draft the Indiana kid that, you know, turns into, you know, whatever, I, Trey Kaufman or I don't know, whoever else is going to be the next, uh, you know, star here from from the state. But uh, that's not realistic. And for, you know, a, a Steve Alford or something like that clearly doesn't work out. But uh, And I know the athlete has changed and the Reggie Millers of the world. And, and part of that is, honestly, I think it's our fault because – we scream and yell that LeBron doesn't win titles for the first whatever X amount of years in his career. Well, if you're going to scream and yell that the guy isn't winning titles, are we going to fault him for joining up and winning titles with other people? Because that's yeah. how we evaluate people. Right. Yep. That's And that's why you're torn on a guy like Damian Lillard right now. That's the missing piece for Lillard. Should we fault him if he all of a sudden joins Milwaukee? I don't even know that's possible. But you know what I'm getting at. Like, we... And, again, I'm at fault of this. I, I put me a, a, into this group because we so often evaluate on that that should we really blame a player? And I know that now we're getting into a whole different whole different discussion here on this podcast, but I, I, I do think that's part of it. But back to your question, Chris. I don't think the Pacers need to look at themselves as a minor league system. I don't. I, I, I don't. That's not how I would look at it. Uh, you, you have to try, and I think that's what you want. You want willingness. And on the way, like those Eastern Conference final runs, Yeah, was that not fun? So fun. Oh, my God. Like, that was awesome. That was such an unbelievable time uh, for our city environment. The Colts are kind of, you know, they were still, okay, where are they going to be post-Payton, you know, things mm-hmm. like that. Uh, that was just awesome to be inside a banker's life and to witness some of that and see Paul and LeBron go head-to-head and Pacers heat and you think back to game four of that series when Wade <laughs> went off and Pacers should have gone up 3-1, whatever. You know, I'm not bitter or anything. But <laughs> those are really, really fun days. Yeah. And I, I don't look at it as, like, championship or bust, but I do think you should strive for championships, and there can be a really lot of cool experiences on the way. Unfortunately, and I thought Kevin Pritchard was pretty honest in saying this on Wednesday, the Pacers are not going from good to great right now. They're trying to get to good. Three years without winning a playoff series. Excuse me, a playoff game. Right. When you look at the teams, Chris, that are in that group, mm-hmm. Pistons, Magic, right. Pelicans, Timberwolves, Kings, Pacers. The Pacers shouldn't be in that group. No, they shouldn't. But they are. So that's reality. And I think you got to look in the mirror right now as well when you're deciding and making some of these huge decisions. Yeah, good for him on owning that. Uh, let's jump to Twitter questions. Like you said, we don't have a ton. I thought we had a good amount. You know, I I, I only asked him at uh, an hour before the pod. I mean, we, I mean, we we had a lot considering the timetable you gave time. him. Yeah. And I know there are a few that I couldn't get to, uh, so I'll try to address you one on one on Twitter. And if not, Chris, I might just at the end kind of run down a few of these. Okay, that's fine. First one comes from Tanner. Hey, Kevin. Thanks for the Pacers pod. I'm curious how how you view our future. I think we need this opportunity to get I think we need this opportunity to get a shot at a lottery pick. We're on a big market, as we mentioned earlier. No big free agents are going to sign here. To me, our best shot is hitting on someone in the draft. How does this roster take a jump to make a run and how long does that take? PS Chris Govals. Thank you, Tanner. Oh boy. We hit oh, nukes. Yeah. <laughs> Who the hell's nukes? 
we hit we hit nukes. We hit bombs. You know, the Tennessee baseball team come on down to the block party outside of Lindsey Nelson Stadium. I would, unfortunately, they gave all the uh, tickets apparently to boosters instead of the true fans. We'll take care of you. Appreciate it. And I will. I normally don't give you. Credit. Come on now, I normally, Irish. I normally don't give you credit, but your Notre Dame Fighting Irish, Let's great go. baseball program. Let's go. Uh, Link Jarrett's got the boys in Starkville this weekend. You talk about a rowdy, rowdy atmosphere, dude. Yeah. SEC baseball, I, I've only been to one SEC baseball game. Holy shit, that you, as a sports fan, you got to do that. It's a blast of a time. So, congrats to your Vols. Who, who they, they got? The They're playing LSU Ooh, in boy. the Super Regional. Pulmonary, former Notre Dame. Swept them earlier this yeah. year. Okay. So. Yeah, the Irish got Mississippi State. We'll see. Not a lot of pitching, but they're going to throw some lefties. Mississippi State, top of their order, some lefties. So, yeah. Uh, luckily, first pitch, 2 o'clock tomorrow, Rosie Bell's birthday, over at 2, down for a <laughs> Okay, Tanner, a uh, lot here to unpack. Um, yeah, I mean, he, he he's right. Um, our best shot is hitting on someone in the draft. You have you know, to. Uh, the, the names that come to mind that have been drafted in that area, Chris, the past few years, we've mentioned Devin Booker, Bam Adebayo, mm-hmm. uh, drafted there. Domas drafted, you know, in that area. Donovan Mitchell, Michael Porter, drafted there. So uh, there are misses <laughs> in that area for sure. Like I'm not just acting like uh, you just show up and you hit it, but you got to hit. You have to draft well. Period. Um, I think Zach Levine, if I'm not mistaken, was kind of in that area. Yep. So uh, if you find a hit in the draft. And, and, again, the hit in the draft typically takes about a year or two to show, really show is like, you know, look at Paul George's first couple of years in the yeah, league. Like, right. Um, you trade a big, I don't think it takes too long. Now, I look at the East and I think it used to be one team, just Miami. Now it's, boy, I think it's three legit teams and, I mean, really legit. Joel Embiid is incredible at basketball. And Brooklyn, <laughs> Wow. Yeah. The next one comes from James. Will the coaching search start completely from scratch, like a fresh start, or will they use a lot of the information from the off season? Yeah, it's a good question, James. I I think that you got to use a lot of the information. Now, some candidates are available that weren't available last year. Terry Stotts, Steve Clifford. Um, I don't know off the top of my head who. Else. I mean, maybe Budenholzer. We'll see what what, what happens there. Um, I thought something that again Kevin also hit on was the loss of Dan Burke and that goes back to the kind of the coordinator system the full staff so you know Dave Yeager I'm trying to think who they interviewed last year Chris Finch is now in Minnesota Billups didn't they interview Billups yep um so yeah I I I think you do sift through uh Becky Hammonds was Mm -hmm. interviewed last year as well I I think you sift through a lot of that and you have kind of a core base and you know Kevin and and Chad Buchanan and Kelly Kroskoff and those people are still in place. Uh, Chad Buchanan or uh, Peter Dinwiddie, I guess the only one no longer here. But you also got to, I think, learn from the Bjorken hiring and interview more people and explore some new candidates as well. Yeah, which is weird because I remember when you know the Colts fired or fired uh, when McDaniel's left him at the altar. <laughs> uh, Ballard wanted to go in a different direction. Now, if I'm not mistaken, you know, it was Matt Rule, Matt Nagy, and Vrabel, I think, were the candidates in the McDaniels part of the hiring process. Those guys, for whatever reason, hires by Vrabel with Tennessee, Nagy yep. to Chicago. Rule, I guess, told Baylor to come back. Um, they all, I guess, kind of made decisions on their own. So the, the three candidates were Kneecap, 
Campbell. They interviewed Dan Campbell <laughs> and uh, Leslie Frazier. You talk about different temperaments. Frank yeah. Reich, Leslie Frazier on one end, and yeah. Dan effing Campbell <laughs> on the other end. So I don't think it'll be like that. Like I don't. I mean, that'd be foolish. I think you look into those candidates, but. And also, I think some of these candidates you're looking into, Chris, potentially for assistance. I know that might not sound ideal to them, but. Yeah. No, Maybe. I agree. I agree with that. Next one's from Q. Should the Pacers look into bringing Thaddeus Young back? Oh, that's a name that Kevin also referenced during his press run on Wednesday. He also referenced Udonis Haslam. Shout out to Udonis Haslam still playing in the NBA. Right. Basically as a leader. That was a big thing that, that Kevin emphasized. I thought about, uh, remember Daryl Armstrong mm-hmm. back, back in his Pacer days? Uh, you know, probably not on the team for basketball skills, probably on the team more as a uh, I'm standing up when we're a minute into the game and I'm clapping, that sort of aspect. So, with Thad, though, like, Thad still thinks he's good and, like, deserving of a starting spot. Thad's a fine player, but right. he shouldn't be starting on a team that's looking to be top five in the NBA. No. Like, um, So that's a lot of money is what I'm getting at. It's a lot of resources, I think, to put I, – I don't know if he – I don't think he's a free agent, but I, I, I'd have to look into that. So, Q, I, I like Thad Young as a leader. Uh, that is great. But I would like for – well, first off, I'd like that person to be a really good player for you. I think that clear, carries more clout when your best player is also your best leader or things similar to that. But if you're going to spend money on a player to be a leader, yeah, uh, be the 10th guy, be the 11th guy. Like I don't, I don't want to spend a whole lot on that. Yeah. I think looking back, the Pacers realized once they got rid of Granger, you didn't understand. They didn't necessarily understand the, the weight he ha- he carried in the locker room. Yeah. And you know, David West, I think carried that, but then that hasn't, been as smooth right. since then. From Andrew, why does Malcolm Brogdon think he's Jesus? <laughs> That's a good one. Um, yeah, Malcolm Brogdon definitely is very uh, very high on himself. Um, yeah, Chris, this might sound a little too hard. I've been disappointed with, with, with Brogdon, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. And I know individually you can look at numbers and you, know, you can point to career numbers. His usage is also <laughs> much different than it was in Milwaukee. You know, you gave him $80 million and you traded a first-round pick. Right. That is a lot. And I expect more out of that return. You know, so many people, when you trade a form, they're like, 50, 40, 90, this and that. I'm like, well, yes, that's great. But is Giannis in Indiana? That efficiency is not going to be here. So as much as there is a lot of good to Malcolm Brogdon, I think he's a fine, fine NBA player. And there's a lot of good things he brings to the basketball floor. I, I don't want to deny that. But I, I have a little bit higher expectations considering the value that you gave for him. And I know a restricted free agent, you had to kind of pry him away. Uh, but as I said earlier, I think the injuries are big as well. So to me, when you're on the court, you got to have higher expectations for him because we know you're going to miss 15, mm-hmm. 20 games every year. Like, that's just what he's done. And as far as a leader with Brogdon, it, it's interesting, Chris. Brilliant guy. Does some great things off the court. No one's denying that, but he's not very emotional. And I do think that is important for a leader. Yeah. Um, now, is there a balance to strike and like not being overly emotional? Sure. But I do think that is critical in an 82 game season to have a bit of an emotional component to you. Um, yeah. I mean, e- even if you go to, this is a, a, a silly scenario. You go to your gifts you type yeah. in Victor Oladipo, 
this is my city, mm-hmm. you know, all these different yeah. things. Yeah, if yeah, you yeah. type in Brogdon, you're not getting. No, no, you're not. Yeah, you, you, you're, you're, his temperament is much, much different than that. So um, that's great for a politician and whatnot. But I think when you are a leader of a locker room and that, I mean, it's a, boy, that's a vast locker room. You know, you've yeah. got foreigners and you've got 21-year-olds and mm-hmm. you've got guys that have been on seven NBA teams and you've got guys that, you know, might not have the same whatever interests, beliefs that, that, that you have. I mean, it's a vast locker room. Um being like IQ crazy Virginia smart, I don't know if that's the exact recipe for a leader. I I don't know. I'm maybe talking out of my ass with that, but no, I agree with you. Yeah, Andrew. I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't uh, yeah, thinks he's Jesus. Oh boy, that's <laughs> boy. Yeah, that, that gave me a good laugh on this Friday morning. This next one's from Joseph. Are we going to bounce between bad and mediocre to sometimes good until the team goes somewhere else? I think I know the answer, but hey, it's not often we get a Pacers podcast. <laughs> well, jo- Joseph, thank you for the question. Um, as we said earlier, Chris, you got to get to good. Kevin yep. Pritchard laid that out. Um, and, and again, I don't think you're that far off. I really don't. But you look at the best runs this franchise has had. Draft, Reggie, Paul. I mean, point point blank. Hey, I, yes, is it that simple? No, but... Those were the two guys to get this team to heights that they haven't been to. So, yeah. Martin wants to know how the leadership void in the locker room is going to be filled this upcoming offseason. Yeah. um, I I really think there needs to be a bit of a come-to-Jesus moment with that locker room of guys just kind of, like, again, look in the mirror and say, we need to be professionals. Something that I think we forget about, Chris, you look at this Utah team. And you look at what happened to them, pandemic, bubble last year. Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell, by all accounts, bucking had you know I mean those two yeah. had some issues with each other. There are major questions about the future of the Utah Jazz, and yet those two were able to put whatever differences they had aside, uh, come together, realize that they easily you know how many NBA teams would like Rudy Gobert or Donovan Mitchell? <laughs> Holy hell! All of them. And, you know, I don't know. Salt Lake City, by all accounts, a great city. I don't know if it's a city that everyone in the NBA would love to be in. And yet those two have come together. And without Mike Conley here in this round, yep. they've beaten, I think, what a lot of teams would have called the prohibitive favorite out west at this point. And that is what needs to happen. Disagreements are going to happen in professional sports. Mm-hmm. Like, this is not... You know, hell, you got disagreements at a retirement home over how much money a bingo game is going to be worth. <laughs> like, like, that's competitive sports. It's it's anything. It's competition. Grow up and come together, band together, and realize that okay, here's a hurdle. Let's clear it. And let's move on. I think that needs to happen. Yeah. Inside that that locker room, um, I think it's a lot of self reflection, Martin. A lot of self reflection, and it's difficult. It's it's you got to put egos aside, and that's tough for professional athletes. But I like to think guys like Brogdon, guys like Warren, guys like Levert, Sabonis. Deep down, I think they get it, but just because you might disagree with a coach here or there, sit down, have a powwow, do whatever you need to do, and realize that there's a greater goal. At yeah. Hand. John wants to address the elephant in the room. Who's more likely to get traded? 
Miles Turner or Demonis Sabonis? Boy, I'm surprised that we're an hour into this, or a little <laughs> bit less than an hour, and it's taking this long. But I knew we had this question, so I wanted to wait. I think it's Turner, Chris, but I am much more open to listening to both sides of the conversation than I was. Uh, now, maybe that's just because I watched the Pacers play defense this year, and I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> but I still think it's Turner for a few reasons. I thought Greg Doyle wrote a pretty good piece a few weeks ago on this debate, Turner Sabonis. You can talk yourself, I think, into either side of that. I'm going to guess most people want to keep Sabonis. Or, like, if you're going to do a straw poll, I- I'm going to guess that Sabonis would be that. But my thought process is here, Chris. You trade Miles Turner, I think you'll get better on the perimeter defensively. So what I'm getting at is you've got to look for a specific piece in trading Turner. Right. But what I'm saying is you're not exposing the rim as much as you just exposed it with your, you know, Olay defense that you played last season. Now, second, I think you take for granted what Sabonis does offensively. Sabonis, to me, is one of the more gifted offensive players in the NBA. And I know that might sound hyperbole, but hear me out. He's 6'11 and is a low post threat that can get you 20, 25 a night. He's averaging how many assists per game? Probably around five or six. Yeah, and like late in the year, it was like a walking triple-double. I mean, it was like eight or nine late late in the season. And those assists don't take into account hockey passes, the pass to the pass for the Mm -hmm. assist, and just his ability to screen. He is such a good screener. I think I've mentioned it before in this podcast, but Greg McDermott, Doug's father, Creighton head basketball coach, comes on with Dan last year when, you know, whatever, he had a great run and says to Dan, boy, if I could just get Doug to play with Domas and TJ McConnell the rest of his career, he'd have a hell of a career. He was getting that. Domas screens my son open. Right. And, like, that's a head coach knowing what DeMontis Sabonis means to Doug, but just the Pacers in general. So, I mean (laughs) – he does three things. He's a post presence, he's a great passer, and he's a great screener. We forget about his rebounding. We take that for granted, his rebounding. And I, it might just be a one-year sample size, but I found it interesting last year from behind the arc, Domas shot virtually the same percentage as Miles. Yeah. Don't think a lot of people remember that from last year. Now, did Miles shoot more threes? Yeah, yes. so volume is something you have to take into account. And was that a one-year fluke? I don't know. Was that a TJ Warren final year in Phoenix where all of a sudden this is the arc? And, like, Domas has clearly worked on that shot. Because at times, Domas shoots, and I'm like, I hope it banks in. Like, <laughs> whereas Miles shoots it, and I always think, Miles, I, I don't, when I watch Miles and Goga Trajectory shoot Trajectory rise. Yeah, I yeah. feel like Miles and Goga have much better, I just feel better about them shooting the three than I do Domas. But the numbers are the numbers. So I think those are some reasons why I'm more have Domas. And then lastly... You've got Goga. Goga took a step in his year two. Did he take as big of a step that you would like? Maybe not. Is there still a lot of growth that needs to happen? Without a doubt. But I look at Goga's skill set, and I think it's very similar to Miles. I I totally agree. Goga, the Pacers thought from day one he could protect the rim in the NBA. I don't know if we've seen to that extent, but like he's come in and been a nice Mm -hmm. defensive presence, better off the ball. I think his individual one-on-one, which is an issue for Miles, too. And then secondly, I think Goga certainly can stretch the floor. So when you start to factor in those things, Chris, I am more trade Miles. I think Miles is a 
fine player. I think in the NBA today, he has a skill set that you want, that you desire. I could see reasons certainly to bringing him back, but those are the reasons why I would trade him over uh, Domos. Okay. Randy wants to know if Terry Stotts becomes the head coach, how fast is he in Kevin Pritchard's office to get Malcolm Brogdon off of his roster? <laughs> Boy, people really are hating on Brogdon. Um, I mean, what if you move Brogdon off the ball? Um, what would that do to his ego? I don't know, but he played off the ball in Milwaukee. Still got two years left in that contract. Like, it, to me, Brogdon is still a really nice player. Does he come off the bench then, though? Because off the ball, no, you have Levert. I don't. I, I think you would go with, at that point, your new point guard, Brogdon at the two, Levert at the three, Warren at the four. I don't know. Some people might say that Levert and Brogdon on the floor together is a little bit too. I need the ball. But Brogdon as a spot-up shooter, I I mean, clearly he was that Milwaukee. He could be 40%. And yeah. at times, he can handle it. Like, that point guard goes to the bench at six minutes into a game. Now Brogdon handles it for the rest of the first quarters. Mm-hmm. Something like that. So, yeah, Rand- see, Randy's in the whole blow, blow, blow it up. Well, I, I guess, I, I don't know. That, that might be unfair for me to say. I could be talked into trading Brogdon, but I'm not as, like, stand on the table for it. You know what? Aaron just touched on exactly what we talked about because thoughts on Terry, on uh, <clears throat> pardon me, on Stotts becoming the next Pacer coach, and thoughts on the starting lineup of a drafted point guard or a trade, and then Brogdon at shooting guard, Levert at the small forward, power forward, Warren, and center is Miles Turner. Yeah, my only gripe there would just be I, I'm probably more Sabonis than Turner at the five, but you know I I, I can listen to people. I mean, Brogdon, Levert, Warren, two through four. I don't really mind. <laughs> John has two questions for us. The first one's pretty funny. Simply, what the hell? <laughs> I feel like I think someone <laughs> asked this. What the fuck? You know. Question two: How long will we will we be stuck in this unending mediocrity? I respect the Pacers for never tanking, but as a small market team, it seems like this does does not work. Yeah, you know, tanking doesn't always work, but I do think it offers you the best opportunity to potentially correct it all. Mm -hmm. Now, there are plenty of examples, again, of it not working, and you can argue how much it's worked for Philadelphia. Exactly. We'll see how this finals plays out. Um, But, I mean, they're going to beat Atlanta, right? They can't lose to Atlanta. No, especially now that, um, oh, so who just got hurt for Atlanta? Oh, Hunter. Yeah. yeah. Hunter, yeah. Um, I can't believe Solomon Hill's getting minutes for the Hawks. <laughs> you know, John, I, I think um, – and, and I know there are some people that are like, you know, you should have full-on tank, but, you know, if you can hit on that 13th pick, which is the if, and make a trade, I don't think you're that far off. This one comes from GF. How good are the odds that Becky Hammond – becomes our next coach and what in your opinion Kevin is the single most important player move that we need to make this offseason to improve the team you know with, with Becky I would say slim to be honest with you and I know she interviewed last year but I come back to something I don't think I mentioned this earlier but what you usually see with any hires frankly probably in any business is you hire the opposite of what you just had and yeah. Becky Hammond's resume is very similar to Nate Bjorkman's resume in that they were a are were a lead assistant for a very respected organization. 
and haven't sat in the big chair. So that would be, and again, I would say that for Dan Craig or Chris Quinn or um, uh, what's his name? He's got the weird name, Doku or whatever his name is. Like there are assistants around the league that are very highly thought of and will probably get head coaching interviews, but I just can't see that route. I think the prerequisite is X player and or you've sat in the chair. Yeah. So that's where I'm kind of at with this. And I don't know if this is just Kevin Pritchard happened to say this because I feel like he didn't. And this is maybe me reading way too much into his presser on Wednesday. Every time he referenced the new coach, uh, the pronoun he used was a male pronoun. <laughs> and again, that might be me reading way too much into it because we've never had a female head coach in the NBA. But uh, he and his were the time mm-hmm. were the pronouns used. So again, that might be me reading way too much into it. But um, but yeah. A- and what is the single most important player? It's that that draft pick. Yeah. You know, find me a small market team who doesn't have a draft pick that's an all-star. Oh, like a good small small market team. So, yeah. And well, I, I know we got several Becky Hammond questions. We get freaking terrible service in the studio, Chris. So, like, <laughs> half my tweets aren't even showing up from people that send in questions, but I do see a few more. So, those are my thoughts there. I, I'm, I'm, I'm very intrigued, though. I know the Popovich tree – yeah, uh, you know Boonholzer, you know comes from that way back from it. Um, you know, good on an NBA owner that 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 takes that risk. Yeah, and um, by all accounts, Becky Hammond seems to be someone that I mean, hell, Greg Popovich isn't going to hire you just to hire you, right? So, uh, and shout out to a friend of the show and our our personal friend Cheeks. That's his. He wants Becky. Does he? Yep. Good for Cheeks. Um, I love that. Yeah, I don't. Chris, I don't have a great coaching candidate, to be honest with you. Like, And the one thing that fascinates me about NBA head coaches is just their backgrounds are so different. Yeah. I mean, so different. And it's great, but it also makes me think, like, there's not just this obvious answer. Ivan wants to know, with this Pacer team, who's the core that Kevin Pritchard should build around? Do it again. Sorry. Who do you consider the core of this team that Kevin Pritchard should build around? Uh, Lavert, Warren, Sabonis. God, you really hope Warren's not hurt. Like, yeah, you know he's had some injury history. Guy, you talk about a guy you love how he handles himself. Uh, you know what? And then I go the bench, Chris, and I put Bursette, which is shocking to me. I mean, I thought Bursette was like this is a ten day fluke. You know, played outstanding. Remember when we had little Hansborough, not Tyler, Ben Hansborough yeah, played yeah. for about ten. You know, me as a Notre Dame guy, I was you know, let's buy the Hansborough T-shirts, slip <laughs> jerseys, let's do it all. Like I just thought it was that. It wasn't that. I no. mean, this dude is like, and he's kind of what you want—a four that can interchange and hit an open shot. And I don't think he's a starter, but I look at a rotation. I, I like Sumner. Finally stayed healthy. The Sumner's jump shot is heinous, but it somehow goes in. And then I would say go go. So yeah. that is my six. I, I don't call any of that untouchable by any means, like clearly. No. But a Lavert, Warren, Sabonis, Sumner, Goga, Bursette, that would say the core that Pritchard should build around. Am I and, missing anybody? McConnell and McDermott are free agents, so I, I don't I don't put them in there. And they're, you know, they're nearing the age of thirty. Yeah. I love TJ though. Yeah. That's I do. Fair. I do. But like little holiday, no. Jeremy Lamb, no. No, no. Justin Holiday, I like. But, I do like Justin too. Yeah, but in terms of and, and Justin Holiday's older, so I mean right. you're not going to build right. around a guy like that. Any sports fan, how do the 
how do they get the coach so wrong this past time? What fixes do you, we need to see in the next hiring process? Also, finally, also does this finally show coaching does matter? Yeah, I think coaching matters, Chris. Let me just start there, especially when you don't have elite talent. How do you create an advantage? I'll keep on coming back to that. You know, if, I, if we're giving our listeners two things to take away from the podcast, which just sounds so just stupid of me, but I am the son of two teachers, you, you take away that. When you're in a market like this, you create advantages via the draft, via coach. This wait, one... wait, wait, wait. I got, I got one more on this. How do the Simons look at this hiring of Nate Bjorkren and not be pissed off? Like, you are paying Kevin Pritchard money to not F this up. And he did. And, like, that was a mistake. Like, that, to me, is a major black eye and and, and a major stain, um, especially when you hire Bjorkren and you're not hiring Mike D'Antoni. And by that, I'm saying this, Chris. You took a big risk with Bjorkren. So that means you vet yep. and you vet and you vet, and you even vet even more, and you press, and, like, he can have X and O's that look like John Wooden. But that is maybe not even half the battle, some might argue, when it comes to being a coach. Because you're also also selling it to the Simons. Like, hey, this is why why we're picking this guy. Right, for sure. I mean, they're like, wait, Nate, pronounce that for me? Like, how do you spell that? I mean, that's what we were. So, uh... Yeah, I, I don't know. How did they get the coach so wrong? That's tough to do. And look at the Simons. Like I was saying earlier, Chris, nearly four decades of ownership. First time. Fired a coach this early. Next one comes from Alex. If Mike Budenholzer is the favorite, assuming that he's fired, how does Malcolm Brogdon playing for his former previous playing for him previously impact this decision? If yeah. he had three moves to help this move if you if you Kevin had three moves to help move this franchise in the right direction. What would they be? Well, that's our boy Alex Golden. So thank you for that. Alex does a great job of setting the pace. Yes, he does. Awesome Pacers coverage. Um, the Brogdon Boonholes are, I don't know, Alex, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think there was a major disconnect there. Uh, who knows? I mean, <laughs> some might argue Brogdon has a lot of disconnects with coaches, but I just thought it was, again, Bledsoe staying healthier. I thought that was kind of the decision they went with. Three moves to help move this franchise in the right direction. What would they be? All right. Uh, hire Brad Stevens. Um, pray that Davion Mitchell falls to the 13th pick. And get more athletic on the wing. Wing, perimeter, guard, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. That's where I'm going. The, the realistic nature of that, who knows. Next one's from Lucas. Regardless of who we replace at head coach, the Pacers will – the Pacers with this roster will never outscores our foes in the Eastern Conference. He mentions next Nets, Bucks, and Sixers. Um, I think it's important to get back to the defensive identity of both the roster and in our coaching personnel and utilizing efficiency on the offense considering Sabonis and his usage. Instead of debating whether we trade Turner or Sabonis, don't you think we should be focusing on acquire some better defensive pieces? Brogdon, Levert, Warren, have all had their potential, and but just some adjustments have to be made somewhere. I think we all underestimate how great we have it with Turner possibly being the fifth option on this offense. I think there's a lot of truth to that, Lucas. And, and again, he probably sounds like more of a we take Turner for granted 
And, and I, I would agree, and I'd probably do it, to be honest with you. Uh, but like I was saying earlier, I think you trade him and your perimeter D gets better. And I know it's tough with how the NBA is. The NBA, to me, allows more contact at the rim than they allow in the perimeter. You know, the freedom of movement stuff and, like, mm-hmm. I don't know, that might be a college phrase, but the games officiate, I think, a lot differently on the perimeter than it is at the rim. You know, there were a couple at the basket last night in that Nets-Bucks game. Like, in college, you feel like that's automatically called, and it's just not called in the NBA. It's weird. There's su- there's such a balance of scoring, Chris. Like, there were some numbers that teams put up this year that you're like, what? Yeah. How many overtimes? Mm-hmm. Regulation? They yeah. scored that many? And then you look at last night and some of these playoff games, I mean, I, in general, I think maybe it's just this round, but the playoff games have been lower scoring Yes. in this round. So there's just this balance, you know, of the scoring and playoff D. But, you know, Lucas, Kevin Pritchard, I feel like has kind of talked out of both sides of his mouth with this. And I get it. I, I'd be torn, too. I don't know. The exact answer: lunch pail, hard nosed D, you know, blah blah blah. Or is it, hey, you gotta have shot makers? Because that was the issue, and I think it is the issue. And the Pacers losing nine straight playoff games. They haven't been able to score enough. They've defended fine. They haven't been able to score enough. But now I'm just kind of torn on it. So I go back to the Sabonis thing earlier. Of yes, would he protect the rim well? No. But to me, he just do he does too much for you. Too much for and the rebounding, which I don't think you can overlook as well. And if it becomes a league that shoots more threes, protecting the rim will lessen a little bit. In that, I'd rather have length and athleticism to fly out on shooters than protecting the rim. All right, I got three more here, and then I know you got a couple on your end. This was from Jake. The Simons are scared to tank because of losing fans. What about losing fans because the team is in consistent mediocrity? Jake, I think you're preaching to a lot of people there. A lot of people. What do fans want, Chris? That's a fascinating question for me. Are you good at making the playoffs? You know, 8 out of 10 years, 9 out of 10 years? Like, is that fine? And you hope you get on a run? Or would you sacrifice 3 or 4 of those years missing the playoffs to go on a run or two? I'm asking you, as a fan. As a fan, I mean, you, you... For me personally, it gets to a point where it's like, yeah, it's great that we've not we've gone over five hundred for this many years, and yeah, you, haven't drafted in the top ten. But hey, them, does yeah. that that doesn't recruit players? That I mean, that keeps your fan base somewhat just at bay. Yeah, keeps the books. Yeah, you're just kind of like, hey, you know, we're we're still in the playoffs, we're still over five hundred. We're, but then you're also like, well, we're picking between thirteen and twenty one every single year, and at times. I mean, obviously, you talked about the guys who have fallen to 13, and there is a, a big draft pool. But if you're going to pick between those parameters of 13 to 21, you have to hit on the draft pick. Yeah, yeah. It's tough. I mean, I, I certainly think more fans side with Jake in this, but I also, I've i heard from fans that I'm content with the Pacers being a perennial playoff team. Obviously, this year that they weren't, but most years they are. Um, I think where I fall right now is – the Pacers aren't even that. Like, again, seven years without winning a playoff series, mm-hmm. three years without winning a playoff game. Like, we just we talked about the team. Like, that's where you are right now as a franchise. You are no longer the most consistent NBA franchise or the team that never full on bottoms out. Like, you have gotten to the point now where you are a below average NBA franchise when you look at it from playoff success. Right. 
in that sense. And man, that's got to piss me off if I'm the owner. Oh, I mean, that's gotta. Yeah. So, but does it right? And I'll, I'll be curious to see what attendance looks like in that building next year. You know, I was talking to some people that longtime season ticket holders in the lower bowl. It is astronomical, Chris, how much it costs to buy a 41 game yeah. Oh, yeah. season ticket package. And if you're going to run it back and think Terry Stotts is going to put butts in the seats, I don't think Banker's Life is going to be rocking. No. Very much. And I hate that. You know, I, I, I hate that. I, that atmosphere, man, when it gets going, mm-hmm. I love it. And watching these NBA playoff atmospheres, I mean, I'm sitting there on the edge of my couch last night being like, let's go, P.J. Tucker. Like, yeah. I, I mean, I'm, you know, boy, I miss that. We haven't had that in that arena. No. In quite, you know, when you're losing the first two, and obviously the bubble, but when you're losing the first two games to Boston, like, you come back for game three and it's like, uh, you hope. But are we really in the series? You know, like, those are some, yeah. Yeah, and the newer innovations as well. I mean, yeah, I mean, who knows? I mean, yeah, it looks. I mean, I, I haven't been in there a ton, but when I've gone in there, I mean, it, it looks different. It looks, you know, great. I, I think it's a beautiful arena. Nothing against that, but the product's got to change. So we're we're going to talk about this a little bit more with SW's question first. Why does Kevin Pritchard have a job? But the second part, which we were kind of just talking about, is the time for the Simons to sell the franchise. Because yeah. are they okay with just right. bringing in a, a constant paycheck every year? You know, the worry the worry is obviously if they sell it, you know, who's buying it and where does that franchise go? Now, I think we've established ourselves as a professional sports market and having an NBA All-Star game and things like that, I don't see us losing it. And where would that franchise go? You know, I know everyone's like Seattle or whatnot. But, um, yeah, I don't – I hope – you know, I don't know. You know, does a, a shift in from Herb to Steven Simon, does that shift things? I don't I don't know. From Wyatt, I know it's crazy and many fans may not agree, but if the Clippers end up going to end up going out, they could look to break up their big duo. Could the Pacers trade to get Paul George back and even give up Brogdon and Turner and a few other pieces of her pick? A, t- a team with a point guard, Levert, and Sabonis and a new core as well in the east i think also if we end up firing nate which we did pg ties pg's ties with billups chauncey um to bring as a head coach what do you think about that boy that's some outside the box thinking by old wyatt um yeah i don't i think better chance i play augusta national in the next week or two um to be honest with you you know, I, I I will say this, Chris, and I know I think you probably will disagree with me on this. I know a lot of a lot of my friends disagree with me, with me on this. How Paul George handled his exit was horrible. I think people all agree on that. But I think at times we don't give Paul enough credit for what he did on the floor here. We look at this franchise right now, and he haven't won a playoff series since he left. I want to say your playoff record since he left is three and twelve in those games. We can make fun of playoff P and all that, and he brings a whole lot on himself for that. But I think we overlook what he did. I don't disagree with you at all. Actually, and I think that yes, his you know him when he opens his mouth at times he's just like oh gosh come on Paul and I don't think it's a malicious I don't think he's a malicious human being or anything like that like I don't think it's a you know whatever uh, you know Brooks Kepka against Bryson DeChambeau <laughs> or something like that but um, he he left things ugly but his presence was a major reason why. You got to the brink yeah. of it, and you love to get back there. 
and you got to find those talents. So now keeping those talents and <laughs> keeping those talents happy, that's a whole different animal. And clearly uh, it's been tough to keep Paul happy wherever he goes. And there hasn't been a lot of team success that has followed him. We'll see what happens in this series. But, um, yeah, that was wild, Wyatt. No, I don't disagree with you. I think you're right, Kevin. Paul George and Chauncey Billups. Whew. I would like Chauncey. Yeah, Chauncey, is uh, he's the ex-player that I think I'm – I'm kind of locked in on. We'd have to bury the hatchet a little bit with the whole Detroit thing. Yeah, but that, for sure. that was long ago. That was, and, and Brian Shaw is kind of another one that I'm like, you know, was that Denver team just at the end of it, the mellow and that yeah. stuff? They kind of needed a, a recharge, but yeah. I want a point. I want uh, me personally. Yeah. I want a former point guard. Okay. Or a leader in the locker room. So a Brian Shaw. Yeah. A Jason Kidd. A Chauncey Billups. I like that former. Point a Sam Cassell. Like you, you need guys who have played. Sam Cassell, you got name. you got guys who have played multiple years and decades in the NBA. They've played under a lot of great head coaches. They're a leader on the floor. They're a leader in the locker room. I just think a, a person like that to come in here and rejuvenize this locker room yeah. would be great. No, I think there's a lot of validity with that. Yeah, that's that is a good point. Any questions on your end? Um. Yeah, we had one from uh, Mike Wells. Jeez, Lord knows. Love Mike Wells. Yeah, must be a backup on the first tee. Uh, <laughs> when is Nate, insert 15 periods, McMillan coming back? Um, Chris, I, I <laughs> firing Nate McMillan wasn't the mistake. Hiring Nate Bjorken was the mistake. I think Nate McMillan would be the first one to tell you that. Like, a change was needed. Yeah. And uh, you just made the wrong one. <laughs> and McMillan you know, said it himself. You had lost nine straight playoff games. With Nate, you know, track record in the playoffs hasn't been great. And, like, let's be honest, he's got Trey Young. And that's <laughs> like, the thing. Everyone's not... like, oh, my God, McMillan's so far. And then he wins a game, and they're like, this is his first win since Seattle. Seattle's not even a program anymore. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's, yeah. let's pump the brakes a little bit here. Yeah, again, Nate, great human, fine head coach, but you're trying to create advantage on the sidelines. I don't think we looked at Nate McMillan and thought that was an advantage night in, night out. So um, there was a ceiling. I think with Nate McMillan that I wanted to mention there. Um, okay, let me see if there's anything else here. Jim, the rest of the NBA recognizes Miles Turner, Miles Turner's real value and potential. Why don't the Pacers? It seems like the only team that doesn't want Miles Turner is the team that currently has Miles Turner. Jim, I, that's a very good point. Mm -hmm. I think the issue is more just the two bigs. You've run yourself into this. Um, if you're ranking like the assets on the Pacers roster right now. You have a couple bigs that make nearly $20 million, so they're pretty high. And you've drafted a guy in the top 20 in Goga as well. I don't think teams have three assets that are big guys that are of that value is what I'm getting at. You've got to break up those big guys. Like, nothing against Miles. It's just that how your roster is constructed, I don't see running it back with two starters as the bigs. And you're stunting Goga. And I don't know, maybe you just got to accept that Goga isn't a good pick. Like, I don't think, I think it's too early to do that. But if you're going to play the two bigs, Goga's not going to get more than 15 minutes a night. Yeah. So, that's where you're at. Uh, Evan sneaks one here. Hey, Kevin, big fan. Uh, you always are asking the right questions at press conferences, and I'm appreciative of that as a huge Colts fan. Do you think the Pacers actually blow it up this offseason? I'm tired of treading water every year and losing in the first or second round. If so, who do you think are our three most attractive trade pieces? Oh, boy. Um, that's a lot. Uh, I, I don't think that they actually blow it up. I don't. 
again, blowing it up to me, Chris, would have been firing Pritchard, too. Yeah. And I just don't think that – I don't know. Maybe the Simons don't want to blow it up either there. Um, you know, as far as a trade, you know, the name Alex Golden threw at me a few weeks ago, who I absolutely love, is De'Aaron Fox with the Kings. You know, point guard that plays with pace. Yeah, I don't know what it would take to get him, but as much as a trade is something we talk about, the draft is honestly what needs to be talked about a little bit more yeah. here. Um, let's go with one more. When is Lance Stevenson's head coaching interview? Gosh, <laughs> you love that. Could you imagine? Gosh. Uh, I think that's everything. Evan says let's pull Ted Lasso and hire a football coach. Should that happen? Over under on Wednesday. You, have you watched that yet? I've not. How is it? You should. Yeah, we. Uh, I've seen previews of it. Yeah, you, you you would love it, especially with your sense of humor. You would love it. Um, yeah, Maddie was obsessed with it, which I was kind of surprised by. I was like, oh boy, we're you know English soccer, not very high. Right. Maddie Bowen's radar, but uh, it's not really much about you know English soccer. It's much more about humor and you know just funny uh, an American over there and things like that. So. Because yeah. what he's the next football coach that goes over. Correct, and... uh, Wichita State. I want to say is where I didn't know. <laughs> didn't know Wichita State had a football program, but uh, yeah, he goes over and coaches some you know lower level Premier League teams right. and whatnot. So, That's awesome. Yeah, you should definitely check it out. So, well, that was uh, long, and I hope you guys enjoyed that. So, uh, we'll see how things unfold. We'll obviously have some articles up on the site throughout the rest of the off season. I'm filling in next week on the morning show. Monday, Tuesday, I think the following week for Dan one day, and then the morning show that final week of June. So I know there'll be a lot of Pacers chatter within those shows. So feel free to check those out. I'll, I'll tweet out those times and whatnot. And um, we do need to come back with another Pacers pod uh, to recap all what happens yeah. over a very, very critical offseason. So everybody have a great weekend. He's Chris Presley. I'm Kevin Bowen. We'll talk to you next week uh, for a Colts pod. See you. This has been Kevin Bowen. Thank you for listening to another edition of Kevin's Corner. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher for the best Colts and Pacers coverage.